Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Shot Volume. I'm Nick Ashbourne with Anthony Petrielli, as always. And this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of what I think is a little bit of an underreported story in the NHL this year, which is the uptick in penalties and, as a result, power play opportunities. So this year, you're getting about half an opportunity per game per team more than we got last year after many years where it's been fairly stable. Like it's hovered around three and now we're talking about 3.57. It's not 2005, 2006. Like it's not the total chaos, you know, power plays taking over the game type situation, but it is pretty noticeable. And I mean, there, there are teams that will benefit, there are players that will benefit. But what I want to talk about a little bit today is sort of the game itself. And do you think the game, ben- I'll just leave it with that. Do you think the game benefits from an uptick in this power play time? By and large, I would say no. I think, I think games, we generally want to see them played at five on five. We want to see a flow of lines. Power plays, you get more goals. Obviously it's easier to score on a power play than your regular run of five on five. I think the best type of games at least the ones i enjoy it's not necessarily a seven six game that's spiked up by power plays it's watching teams get into a flow and a rhythm and you know the continuity of hockey is what makes it so exciting more so than any other of the major sports obviously baseball is top of the inning bottom of the inning football is stop start Basketball is the closest, but there's no fluid neutral zone. It's it's either you're playing offense or you're playing defense. And it's a, you know, it's one end to the other in a much slower fashion. Hockey has the fluidity. So to me, having teams play that the most possible, but then also win the game by and large on the back of that is the ideal type of hockey game. Yeah, I think that's understandable. A lot of the time we talk about the progression of different sports, people tend to think that more offense is beneficial and it has been in certain sports but like if you ask a basketball fan for instance like is the game way better today than it was 20 years ago you get a lot of different answers like yes scoring is up points are up but is the game itself better i personally i'm not so sure on the count of basketball i think hockey is the same way like i referenced that 2005 2006 season when like guys like Brian Gionta are going off and becoming super yeah like I'd say becoming superstars you know kind of to the average fan because they're just seeing these massive numbers and that's not where we're going right now to be clear I do want to see each team get a couple of power play opportunities in a game like I'm not saying like the referee should force it and do makeup calls and stuff like that but when I when I see a team roll through town, like I want to see their top guns have an opportunity to make some nice plays and set it up. But I think that you're right in that, like 
part of what differentiates hockey is that level of flow, you know, is the changes on the fly, right? You don't like see that in basketball guys don't, you, know, you do in pickup sometimes, but in real NBA basketball, I don't see guys like running onto the court in baseball. You don't see like a pinch runner joining from in between second and third base. Like this kind of flow that hockey has is valuable. And I think that when you get a lot of penalties, there's, there's a choppiness to the game too, because those are stoppages yeah. in play as well. And face like the, it's mainly about the goals. It's mainly about sort of the offensive zone time and how that changes the game, but also just these stop it. Like sometimes it's nice to have a period where like eight, nine minutes go by and there's just no face off. And it's harder to have that in a world where the game is tightly reft. And I think you could argue that like the refereeing itself has been a bit of an issue too. Like it, when you're watching, it does seem like there are more of these ticky tacky calls that you'd be happy to see them just go by. Yeah, like you just you lose the rhythm. And I find especially early in the season, teams are very much working through who goes on after a power play, who goes on after a penalty kill, right? Like they're not they're not set. Once you get to the playoff time or you know, even that later stretch of the season, it's it's automatic for teams, right? It's like the three guys on the bench know we kill this penalty, we're getting the next shift. Right now, it's teams are kind of feeling that process out, which is what the beginning of the season is for, and that's fine. But it just sometimes I'm watching games right now, and I'm sitting there going, like that last five minutes was just it was weird, it was choppy, it was it was awkward. We kind of you know prior to that penalty, there was actually a flow to the game. Certain lines were going, and it's it's taking guys time to get back into the game because they were maybe sitting for you know eight minutes in real life not in game time but you know there's a commercial whatever the case is and you just you kind of lose it a little bit and it takes a little bit more to get back into it um so i'm weary but you know you'll you'll get a lot of people that will also conversely complain that calls weren't made and it's a little bit of that that football that's a lot of partisan stuff though that's a lot of like my team didn't get the call that they were supposed to get i don't think a lot of people are like more penalties in general it's the football argument though of like every play is a hold you know you often see something where you're like "Mm, i guess they could have called it you know like like last night i'm watching the leaf game and there was a weak call i thought on john klingberg like there he was slashed in the in the neutral zone i was like that's not a penalty and then in the second period i watched and tyler bertuzzi with one hand on a stick hit someone well, like that was a wild call and he falls like if you have one hand on your stick and you are above the knee it's not a trip like it's either it's a dive and you take both or you just don't call it but it's definitely not a trip right it's like those like ticky tack things where you know the kings might say well he fell it's a trip and that's what they ended up calling but you know like are those good penalties no i basically want to see the game Personally, I want to see a game of five on five as much as possible. And if one team can't keep up with the other team, ergo, they're taking penalties to negate scoring chances or zone time, or they just did something stupid by chance. Like, I just want to see the game played a five on five. Yeah, I think, you know, Bertuzzi is an interesting example that you mentioned because like the game is being called tighter right now. And he's a guy who's sort of a perpetual line stepper. And so he, in his career, he actually has not taken a lot of penalties. Like people have this perception of him, like he's a pest, but his penalties have been pretty low his whole career. And then this year they're just not. And I don't think that he's like doing something that's radically different. I think it's just that 
the game is being called in a slightly different way. And there are certain players, certain players it's not really going to matter to, but there are certain players who are going to have to adjust to this. And yeah, I think just by and large, I'm in agree with you, right? Like the game is at its best at five on five. My my number, I'm just going to throw it there. I'm going to say two power plays each. If both teams get two power plays, we get to see it. Maybe one's organized, one is not. We get a sense of what yeah. it is. Maybe you get a goal out of the whole thing. That's good for me. But right now we're seeing seven power plays a game, and it that just feels like a little bit much. You know, that's a, that's almost a whole period of power plays. I was going to say five, so two each, and then one extra for the other. Also, we're talking about the, the Leafs-Kings game just because it happened the night before we recorded this. But, I mean, the Heritage Classic was, I mean, Edmonton was sitting there in the first, like, what is going on here? We're like, these guys are just getting five on threes gifted to them. And, I mean, Calgary wasn't cashing them in, but it definitely ruined the flow of that game. Like, to to me, that game did not have what I wanted out of it in terms of physicality even and and flow of play and and anything. It was very stagnant. It, It felt like, Edmonton got a lead and then was killing penalties and Calgary was getting gifted opportunities to get back into the game and they weren't cashing it in. It just, that's not the showcase of hockey. I I would want to see, especially on a stage like that. Anthony, I know that you've been watching, I think like quite a few people, to be honest, the Kyle Dubas experience going on in Pittsburgh right now, like not a lot of teams had, a huge off-season overhaul, to be honest, this year. I mean, that's partly that kind of flat cap world we've lived in where a lot of teams just aren't able to make a ton of moves. The Pittsburgh Penguins did. The early results are not good, and my understanding is that you are especially unimpressed with what you're seeing. Yeah, so it's they are an interesting sort of conundrum. So they are 29th in points percentage, which obviously a tough start where, you know, they haven't even hit the 10 game mark. So there's of course a ton of time. They have a number of promising underlying stats at five on five, you know, they're a top 10 possession team. They're top 10 in expected goals. Their power play has been mediocre so far. And I think a lot of people will point to the points percent or the shooting percentage on the power play, which is one of the lower marks in the league. So you sit there and say, all right, they have way too much talent for the power play struggles to continue which i would by and large agree with but i do think that there's a few notable things at play here one they have really really bad depth issues like noel chari is making two million dollars a season for three years and he was never really much of a producer in the first place like he borderline he had a contract year last year like he was good last year but that his production which was modest at best was out of the norm for what he is usually capable of doing. He has zero points in nine games start the season. Jeff Carter has zero points in nine games start the season. Matt Nieto has zero points in nine games start the season. Like that's half their bottom six. They are getting some production from the top of their lineup, their top guys. And ultimately I look at their team and say, yeah, I I think that they will figure it out. Like there's no way that they're going to be the 29th ranked team in the league when we're all said and done. I mean, there is a way, but it's highly unlikely that they're going to be that bad of a team. But now I kind of add it in and go, this to me is like, they're one of the oldest teams in the league. Like them in Washington are the two oldest. We already see what's happening with, with Washington. So I think one, that there's some natural decline coming into play of just, you know, the guys aren't as good as they once were. And two, are they going to stay healthy? Like now they're, they've dug themselves a little bit of a hole. 
and they need to be really good. And I question if they're going to, if their top guys are going to stay healthy enough to, in order for them to do what they need to do to climb back up the standing. So I, I see the, you know, advanced stats. I think the depth issues are real. I think the potential injury concerns are real. And to me, that leaves them, you know, they were my team that I picked as the, as the most difficult one to coach when we talked about it earlier. Like, this is a large part why they have vets that expect to win. I don't think they're as good as they think that they are anymore. And they're already, they've already dug themselves into a tough spot. Yeah, I think you're right on a couple important points here. One is the bottom six issues. Like the bottom six has done nothing for this team. And it's pretty awesome. outside outside of Jeff Carter, like it's a wholly imported group of forwards that have come in and none of them have looked good and none of them have really done anything. The other thing is the injuries, as you bring up as well. Like when you have that old team, what you're hoping for is you get out to a great start, you bank wins, and then maybe down the stretch, you're able to rest guys, give them less ice time. Like you don't want to be chasing and old. That's a difficult position to be because like each win becomes more valuable. Now you might be pushing your guys from an ice time perspective, but you might be chasing games where if you're well up in the standings, you don't, you know, you have the luxury to be like, you know what, we're going to wave the white flag on this three goal deficit in the second period here, essentially. And that's not going to happen for this team now. And they've, they're already in a tough spot in the standings, right? Like you think about Carolina, the Rangers, the Devils, like those are pretty easy teams to lock into the top three spots of the Metro. Like none of that is guaranteed, but Hurricanes have been a little bit weird out of the gate, admittedly. But I, I feel pretty good about saying like that's the way it's trending. So like, again, yeah, I'm not worried about Carolina. No. So that's like it's a nice narrow road that the Penguins have to go. And that's difficult. I, I do think that they deserve some credit for, as you said, the fact that they have had this like this game that's worked on a possession level. Like they're shooting 8%. Their goaltending is 888 save percentage. Like that's not going to hold up. The power play should be better, although they're still figuring out the Carlson thing, I think on a couple levels. Like it, the Eric Carlson has not sort of stepped in and been like, oh, he's an incredible, like he's, no one is like, oh, he's going to win back-to-back Norris. Like there's there's no chatter of that so far. So like they're still figuring that component out. I think that it's an interesting thing because based on how they've played, there's a world where right now they're six and three and they're kind of cruising and things are going well. But like when the underlying numbers are good, you have to bank those results. And because they haven't banked those results, now they find themselves in a pretty difficult predicament here. And the top two lines are good. Like Crosby and Malkin are still good. Are you going to get 82 games from them again? Like you did, like it, it kind of reminds me of last year's situation a little bit where they were very reliant on these aging stars and they miraculously got all the games from those guys. It's just yeah. so difficult to envision that happening again. And you could have said that before the season, but it's equally true now. And they now have this competitive hole to work out of as well. They were also a top team in possession spectacles last year, five on five. And obviously they didn't make the playoffs at all. And it wasn't like the East was some massive behemoth that was insanely difficult to make the playoffs in. Right. I mean, like Florida was the lowest uh, point total of any playoff team in the league last year. So uh, some of it, I don't want to say that they're gaming the numbers, but I do think to some degree people fall back on them, but it's like, well, if they're a top 10 team again in these numbers and they again don't make the playoffs and it's, you know, two years in a row at some point, 
I don't know if you can just shrug and be like, oh, look at the numbers. Like they're, they're good. Like at, at what point is it like, well, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's the happen. issue we're dealing with, with the Calgary flames, right? Like last year, the flames had all these great underlying numbers and they seemed to control the play and they were out shooting opponents all day long. And we thought, well, that can't possibly happen again. And, you know, these guys are going to be better. And I know we're talking about the Penguins here, but like it is the similar yeah. premise, right? Like there are teams that seem to do well by these metrics. And like, you know, the Penguins, I believe right now, as we record, are out shooting opponents by 36 to 28.8. So that's a big margin. When a team is putting up that margin, I generally feel pretty good about what they're doing. But now, you know, Calgary's is this example where like over the last year and a bit you're seeing the same results where the goaltending isn't there the shooting isn't there the difference with calgary and pittsburgh is like pittsburgh's got crosby and malkin and some of these guys like with calgary you could always say like oh those guys might have the organized game but they don't have the finishers to make it work and that's the reason for these numbers with the penguins i don't feel quite as confident in that like oh there's a reason why we're seeing what we're seeing statistically because it'd be hard to argue that they don't have guys who can finish on this team, not in the bottom six, clearly, uh, but at the top of the lineup and, you know, with Eric Carlson and with Chris Letang as well, to some extent. Yeah. And I also think, I also think they, a few kind of cardinal sins on the overall roster construction. I think that they have two guys that are competing top power play quarterbacks and Letang and Carlson. And ultimately that's just not, personally uh a situation that i like i think it fails more often than it succeeds unless you're going to actively just pair them together on the top unit i just i think it just when you have a guy whose bread and butter is power play and now you're telling him to not play on the power play i think it hurts i think we've seen it in toronto a number of times when tyson berry was acquired and now with john klingberg and it's like this weird awkward dance between all right who gets to be the guy and is it to make one guy feel better or is it based on merit and I think for Carlson in particular, um, on the on the second part, I think a lot of people just de facto point to the fact that he won the Norris last year. And I think a lot of people, including people who voted him to win the Norris, didn't really watch much of Eric Carlson last season. I don't think people were going out of their way to watch San Jose games. I don't think people were going in their way to watch San Jose games. So by and large, what I think happened as someone who sadly did watch a decent chunk of San Jose games last year is... Carlson basically did whatever he wanted on the Sharks because they were so bad that he could justify it. You know, it's like I'm blowing the zone as a defenseman and I'm going to go join the rush and do whatever I want. And like, maybe I'll score and like, maybe I won't and they'll score or they'll get a scoring chance or whatever the case is, you know, like some of the, the high risk plays essentially that were built into his game as a byproduct of playing on a really bad team were very evident to me, which in part led to him having such a massive productive season that he did which kudos to him that was a bad team and and he produced great numbers but now i think that he's playing on a real team and there's a real kind of set way to play i think he's caught a little bit sometimes deferring to other top players that he didn't previously have in san jose like it was easy for him to get the puck in san jose and be like well, I what's mean, the alternative, right? Yeah. Like if, if yeah. he doesn't take that risk, it's it's a bum who's going to get the opportunity. Yeah. So he's like, this is our best chances for me to jump in here and try and do something. And in, in Pittsburgh, yeah. it's different. Yeah. And no one was going to argue with them, right? But we, so even the end of the Anaheim game, they have the five on three at the end. Carlson's pass gets picked off by Henrique and Mason McTavish comes out of the box, gets the 
gets the goal, which was still shorthanded because they were on a five on four technically at that point. They win the game with like 13 seconds left. And if you watch Carlson, like he could have just turned and walked in and shot it. But it's like a we. It's like, oh, well, that's Evgeny Malkin at the top. Like, I got to pass it to him. And that was the easiest play for Henrique to make on that entire five on three of anybody. Like, just a little, like, one-handed tap. It was nothing, right? Because he's not, it's a bit of a weird feeling out process. So, ultimately, I think he'll figure it out a little bit. He's too good not to. It's not like he hasn't been productive. Like, he has six points in nine games. That's, for most defensemen, that's a really good start to the season. But I do think it's a bit of a weird, like, song and dance. And then the the last the last thing is um is like obviously the depth issues i've already talked about so it's like you've committed money in term to a goalie who really has had one really good season in my eyes like when he started 58 games and it was like 919 save percentage that's a really good season he had one season where it was a slightly better save percentage but he played like 33 games which to me is like great but you were more of a backup and then after that he hasn't really been good so you commit a money to that guy. You've added in a bunch of depth guys that aren't producing. And you have a bit of a weird fit between your marquee addition and your leftover in, or your holdover incumbent in Chris Letang. And it's just been a really awkward fit that hasn't come together so far. Yeah, I mean, I think we can both agree they'll probably be better than this. What's going to matter is just how much better and whether that's enough to pull them ahead and get them in a playoff spot and avoid what happened last year. I think that's 100% an open question at this point. Anthony, I think you'd agree that one of the strangest teams we've seen so far in this NHL season is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not because of the results. Like if you showed me the record and said, this is what the Lightning are going to do, I'd be like, Sure. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. But more because you thought that the goaltending was going to be this huge issue with Vasilevsky out and them not having an established backup, which no one can really afford, but you especially can't afford if you're paying Andre Vasilevsky. And that the play in front of the goaltender would be strong enough that they'd still win their fair share of games. Maybe not sort of peak lightning type like they used to be, but still like a solid team, a lot of pieces still in place. And what we've seen is the goaltending been pretty damn good. And from a sort of possession expected goal standpoint, like whatever metric you want to use, the lighting have just not played well in front of them. And they are lucky that they're getting the goaltending they're getting and they're getting the shooting luck, to be honest, that they're getting as well. I think their shooting percentage is around 12% as we record today. Like that's pretty hard to sustain over a long period of time. And the lightning are somehow surviving, but it's, uh, it's unclear how long that's going to continue. Yeah, they are they are a strange team. So obviously you referenced the poor five on five numbers. One thing that I thought a lot about coming into it, coming into this conversation was what we actually talked about a few episodes ago, which was them changing their defensive zone structure, right? Like there is a learning curve for that. So on the glass half full side, you could sit there and say they are still banking points. They're not Pittsburgh penguining it in this process. They, you know, they're giving themselves some cushion to play with and they're working through the kinks. Like John Cooper would be the first one to probably sit here and say, like, we're not playing for October and November. We are playing for spring and the playoffs. So collecting the points, working through the issues, I think those are all like positive signs for them that they can take and build on. I think the biggest like drawback that I see when I I look at it is that like they're at minimum a, a forward short, right? Like Nikita Kucherov is 
currently on pace to have his highest career time on ice ever. And, you know, he's not, he's not young anymore. He's not a spring like, chicken. That's for sure. Like he's, he's 30, like he's turning 31. I, is that in, well, in next June, to be fair, but like someone who's 30, are you looking saying, let's have this 30 year old winger play more than he's ever played before in the league. Right. Cause otherwise, if you look at their, their time on ice average of their players, guys are kind of where you would expect them to be. Braden points a little bit over 20 minutes. Stamkos and Sorelli are, you know, 1842, 1835. Brandon Hagel, 1743. Nick Paul, 1610. Tanner Janos, a little over 14. Like none of those numbers are particularly egregious. Like you can generally look at them and say like, yeah, I could see how those guys would play in those time slots. Like maybe Sorelli could play a little bit more. But by and large, it's just a byproduct to me of like, they don't have enough horses. And that's what happens when you lose, you know, last summer it was Alex Kalorn and Ross Colton. This, you know, before that it was Andre Pilat. Before that, you know, Yanni Gore, Blake Coleman, like Barclay Goodrow. Like you just, you keep losing these guys and no team in the cap era can backfill for that. No, I mean, you'd have to be an insane player development team to do it. And you're doing that with limited draft picks. We know the Lightning love to trade away their draft picks. Uh, you could argue with how they've done that at times. There's been successes and failures at that. Kalorn is a guy I think they really miss, right? Like Sorelli is someone who has not really produced out of the gate. And him with Kalorn and, and Hagel was a really, really effective line at times last year. Like that you know, that, that's a line you're scared of as well. And right now you're kind of scared of Kalorn that. Lauren had first... a massive contract year too, like a massive Oh yeah. Contract. Like, yeah. I like, mean, the, the year you got from him yeah. wasn't necessarily the year you would get from him if you had him this year, he's been injured. Um, but I think that's, it's just different. It's a different feel from when you had sort of that one, two punch to the one, the gap between one and two is bigger now. And the Stam, you know, you're still scared of Stamkos and Point and Kucherov. Yeah. Stamkos has had some weird results, like some weird numbers. Like on ice right now, the at five on five, the Lightning are getting outshot 75-38 when Stamkos is on the ice at five on five, which is That's a pretty ugly. insane number to have a yeah. guy getting filled in to that extent. It's not quite as bad for Point and Kucherov, but it's not good either. Like there are two guys on the and he has higher... eight points in seven games. That's probably the funniest part of that stat. Yeah. <laughs> It's bizarre. And and there are two guys on this entire team with expected goal above 50% at five on five. So I I'm with you that they're they're working some things out. It is really important that they're banking points, right? Because getting Vasilevsky back can only make them a better team. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a difficult to quantify component there too, about how a team plays in front of a goaltender that they have that level of confidence in. Like that's that's always been part of the lightning secret sauce, I think. The fact that they always had Vasilevsky back there and it kind of empowered the team to take certain risks. And so that'll be, a you know, that's going to put upwards pressure on their win total, on their point total. So when you look at this stuff, I don't think you say, oh, this is a reason to panic. This team is about to crumble. This team is aged out of its window. I, I think the talk of the Lightning being old is a little bit overstated, to be honest. Like they're not ancient in the same way the Penguins are. A lot of these guys are still very much in their primes. But I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a situation where if in 10, 15 games, we're still looking at it and this team is consistently getting beat five on five in terms of shots and things like that, then we can reevaluate what do we think with the Tampa Bay Lightning as a team. 
But for now, it seems like they're they're weathering a difficult situation surprisingly well with a little bit of luck, arguably. Uh, and they're putting themselves in a position to compete for a playoff spot, which a lot of people coming into the season did not have the Lightning as a playoff team. And maybe that some of that is a little bit of takery. Like it's it's kind of like, a, I don't know, makes you look good to be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to say this thing that other people aren't going to say. It's not like they made the playoffs by a mile last year. So it's not a wild prediction, I guess. But uh, I think if you came this year not liking the Lightning, you have evidence to support your argument. But it seems early to really turn on this team. Yeah, and honestly, the last thing I'll note, just because we haven't really talked about it on the other side, is their defense, right? Like, Darren Radish is in their top four, and he's promising. I thought he looked really, really good in the playoffs last year. You know, he came into the season with 21 games under his name. Like, there is a learning curve to playing in the top four every night. Yeah, I mean, they've been loading up Mikhail Sergachev for years now, and he is a good player. But I also think there's a lot of risk, like, like sloppy risk to his game, like, like that's what coaches love to hear sloppy risk yeah like like there's a player to a game where you kind of scratch your head that that he's participated in in some capacity and prior like previously they did have the horses to kind of insulate that and um look for ways to you know make it uh not as problematic but i think they need a lot from him now right like nick perbix is in his second year i I don't think Eric Cernak, who obviously got knocked out of the playoffs last year and is playing for the first time since, like, I don't think he's been his best. I think the defense can somewhat turn around and and maybe get better as things go along. But you know, they like the they're a big reason too. We can talk about them missing a forward, and which is still true. But I, I think their defense needs to you know kind of round into shape. I think they will to some degree, but. The ceiling's probably not there. You know, like you talk about that kind of like peak lightning, the ceiling for this defense group probably isn't as high as it was for some of those peak lightning teams. Like I know they have some of those younger guys, but a lot of those or guys getting used to it, like Perbix, like Radish, like those guys are kind of newer, but that doesn't mean that they're like massive high ceiling phenom type guys. Like they're guys that project to be solid and could improve, but they're not sort of upcoming up and coming superstars because as the Lightning, again, yeah. where are you going to get these young superstars from? You never take any draft picks. And even if you did, they're late draft picks. So there isn't a, a wave of super high ceiling players coming to the Lightning. Like this is a team that's in decline. It's just like, is the decline slow enough that they're still pretty good? And for now, despite some of these red flags, it does seem that way, that this is still a pretty good team.